The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Rogers, and on this week's Welsh Wire, we're presenting the best of 2018, highlights of some of the most interesting interviews that Sherry Welsh did this year. Coming up first, Sherry talks about identifying and managing risk in her conversation with Randy Boss, a partner in Ottawa Kent Insurance. There's several ways to do that. One of the ways that we use is an employee interview system. We we actually get a list of the employees that a company will want us to interview confidentially, and we ask them what they think the risk issues are. And then we do a safety survey to find out what their safety um, issues might be, and then we we walk around and, and look for issues. The reason that's so important is that if they have an injury or an incident at work, that's what OSHA does. Right. OSHA comes in and they interview employees, and I would rather tell a company owner what their employees might say so that we can um, make sure that they have the proper training and everything um, and they, so they can say, honestly say the right thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And step two? Analyze data. Analyze so the data. what we okay. do is um, we look at um, the uh, loss runs um, that show all the losses of the business and um, the OSHA logs. And um, what we find is that data doesn't lie. So what we do is we look for patterns. So, for example, working with a trailer repair company, and I saw a lot of um, eye injuries. Hmm. And uh, what we started to do some discovery and, and uh, looked at what type of safety glasses they were using and found that they didn't fit properly and oh changed suppliers of safety glasses and voila, all the uh, all the all the injuries went away. So there that's you go. that's a, an analysis piece. Right, right. And the third step in your risk management three sixty five is control risk. Control. So risk. once you've done identifying, and these steps are in order. So you identify, you analyze, but then you need to have a control piece in place. Right. Safety policy procedures and controls. And one of the most powerful things I can recommend to folks is start by forming a safety committee. Okay, um, great Because suggestion. employees get involved in, in the solutions and then they take ownership. Um, and then there's other ways to control as well. Good housekeeping, maintenance, um, lockout, tagout of the machines, having proper that. Fleet safety is another mm-hmm. big thing, cell phone use, um, contract review, HR, and compliance. Those are some of the things that we look at. All the things you help them look at. And then what's the fourth step after that? Well, the fourth step is what most people recognize as insurance, and that is where uh, risk gets financed. So what we found is that if you do the first three steps effectively, um, you'll get rewarded here on the finance piece. One thing we know is that um, you have to then match the correct finance insurance policy to the risk once it's lowered. Otherwise, the only one that wins is, is the insurance company. Right. Uh, and, yeah. Um, so that's that's um, that's a fourth step. But that's 
um, unfortunately, where where most of the insurance industry spends their time is on the fourth step, and they miss the miss the first three steps. Right, right. One of the things I know that's come up for um, small companies a lot lately has been cybersecurity yeah. and the risk in that. Do you address that? And as you're identifying yeah. risk, and- well, when, that's an interesting question because when I I got started in the insurance business, we never talked about cyber insurance right. because there were no computers. Right. Apple computer started in 1977. So, but we do address that. That is a, a very big issue. There's a lot of things that you can do outside of buying an insurance policy for cyber. So the key is, is to have some good things in place. And then you can buy uh, insurance for, um, if you do have a breach. Right. So that's all wrapped into part of your analysis so, as well. Correct. Looking at cyber. Okay. Absolutely. So then the fifth step, You've got all these things in place. You've maybe got a bit of a plan here. Yeah. What happens last? Well, actually, monitor and measure. So this is where you score how well your plan is operating and uh, how well it's working and what needs to be adjusted. And this is where I take ownership. of. It's my scorecard as well. So I'm when I'm walking someone through it, this is where I show them the results. And if their adjustments need to be made, we make them there and we start all over again. Oh, that's great. So you walk your clients through this risk management 365, maybe at the start when you're first starting to work with them, but it right. sounds like on an ongoing basis annually. Absolutely. Yeah. It, big risk changes all the time. Um, things change. People get new um, employees all the time. They may get new machines. They may move um, locations. Um, you know, there's always new things that um, that are, are risks. Maybe they developing a new product that they don't realize. Right. So this is a huge benefit to your clients when they work with you, this program that you've put together, I'm sure you've helped dozens of customers, companies through some challenging situations with risk management, maybe solve some problems for them along the way that they struggled with. Tell us about that. You got a good example of someone you've... Well, there's really a lot of them, but a couple of them stick in my mind. One is a construction supply company. They had really poor claims experience on their workers' comp and their medical plan. Oh, yeah. Their increased cost was making it difficult for them to even um, compete. And um, they they were told by their insurance company they may have to go to a high-risk pool, which really increased their cost. So. When I sat down with them, they agreed to follow the five-step risk management process. They made me their agent, and their insurance company that they had agreed to renew one more year, and they didn't have to go into the pool, which was really a win right there. But four years later, their cost was one-half of what they were paying when we started. Really? And um, they sold recently. Um, The founder retired, and he told me that he received 25% more for the company because of those results. Holy smokes, that's huge. So what did you do between we have a problem and you can sell the company for a lot of money? What did all you identify? The five steps. I mean, we, we identified, first of all, that um, that they really needed um, a better work comp claims management system. Okay. When, when people were getting injured, um, they were just following the advice of the claims adjuster just to put them off work. Well, we developed a, um, a return to work program, or some people call it a... Um, a get get well at work program, and that was a big a big thing. And with with our work comp program, what the way we treat employees is everybody's an eagle until they prove they're a turkey. And if if they prove that I they're like trying that. to take advantage of the situation, then um, we make it a little bit more difficult, right? So that they're not taking advantage of um, of the company, right? 
So you helped them put some specific new policies and procedures into place with regard to the way they handled their work comp Correct. that really helped to that reduce was, That was cost. one thing on the medical side. Um, we have a system called the Wellness 401k, and it was really a conscious raising exercise, and uh, they were able to um, put that in place and um, keep their um, their healthcare costs in line um, and, and keep offering a competitive um, package to their employees. Oh, that's great. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. You mentioned there was another company maybe that you had uh, done some great work uh, with. Another one that um, comes to mind is their wood products manufacturer. Okay. And um, in one of the risk management interviews we had with an employee, they said they were concerned about wood falling from these large racks above their head. And um, we brought this concern to the management team. Um, they installed safety nets mm. above the heads of the employees. Three weeks later, wood fell and got caught in the net. Wow. Um, and the employer called and just thanked us um, that we had gone beyond that traditional, just selling them an insurance policy to focus on risk management. For right. So. And this was identified, again, going back to your five-step process. This was a suggestion that you came up with Correct. as you walked around on the shop floor and worked right. with them. And that's yeah. huge. There's no telling what could have happened right. had that not, not the big The big suggestion I would, I would make is that you can't manage risk from the office. Next on our Best of 2018 program, Sherry talks with Cynthia Kay, a notable West Michigan small business author, leader, and public speaking expert, to get her tips on improving presentation skills. What would you say are three things a leader should consider if they really want to develop a truly powerful, impactful presentation? What should they think about? I have a, a saying that I, I do in every single class that I do. And I say at the heart of every great presentation is a need. That one sentence is what people need to think about. It's not what you want to tell someone. It's what does that audience need to hear? It's a complete 180 from the way we tend to think. Oh, it sure is. It really is. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. are the selfie society, right? It's all about me. Right. And it's not about me. It's about you. It's about what do you need to get from this? Mm -hmm. And I can break that one thing down that at the heart of the presentation is a need into those three things you'd like to know about. One is really concise, powerful language. Language that connects with people. And there are some things that I teach about how you do that. The other Can you give is, me an example of that, Cynthia? What do, what do you mean by that? Okay, so I have uh, leaders who will say, well, you know, we have a serious situation. And I would suggest that if you have a, quote, serious situation, what it really might be is a horrific mistake. Not a serious, a horrific mistake mistake. Maybe the pace is not fast. It's frenetic. I mean, there are words that are more powerful than other words. Your language has to be descriptive and colorful and active. The other thing that I think people need to think about is, is that often their visuals are just awful. They are old. There's, they're cluttered. Mm -hmm. They're ordinary using clip art. So I think you have to really look at remaking visuals. Mm -hmm. And then that third thing is your presentation. And that's the piece that really has to sell it. Are you, are you giving a spectacular presentation every time you go out? Are you giving it your all with energy? 
That's really important. So those three things, language, visuals, presentation, but always remembering the need. Excellent. And you give a presentation that's called Delivering Great Presentations. Yeah. Right? I actually have a couple of them. Present Your Best Self. Um, one is called Face to Face with CK. And, and what I really try to do is customize the presentation for the exact kind of situations that people are going to speak. Okay. And what kind of groups or organizations or companies do you work with? Oh, I've worked with manufacturing companies. I've worked with accounting firms. I've worked with insurance agencies. I've worked with physicians who need to do media interviews. So really, everyone can learn to give a better presentation. Sure, sure. Tell us about someone that you've worked with that uh, maybe was a skeptic at the beginning or really needed a lot of intensive help, <laughs> and you took from that good to great spot. Okay. So... um there was an individual who was doing what I would call a roadshow, mm -hmm. going out for his company and doing new product introductions and would go to trade shows and customers. And this individual told me that he was really good, but he was going to make his boss happy by coming to see me. <laughs> and the very first thing we did was really we kind of tore the presentation apart and kind of put it back together. Then we worked with him on language. We videotaped him so he could actually see how he looked. He went out and really got some rave reviews the next roadshow he did and called me so excited and said, well, I guess maybe I wasn't as good as I thought. <laughs> and, and my reaction was, you know, that first of all, that's really evolved that someone can admit that. And, and when you can admit that maybe you need to do something a little bit differently, there is great opportunity to get better. How does leadership differ from plain old management? Sherry finds out when she interviews Mary Jo Asmus, founder and president of Aspire Collaborative Services, LLC. Most of the folks that listen to our podcast are leaders. They're leaders in their companies. They own their business or they're part of the senior leadership team in a business. And so I think that they would be really interested to learn about what you talk about oftentimes with the people that you coach. Um, and that's leadership. Mm -hmm. You know a little bit about leadership after more than 20 years of doing executive coaching. Ironically, I think probably a lot of leaders don't have a good handle on what leadership truly means. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I, I would say that that's a depends situation. There are certainly leaders who are naturals at it, and there are those who struggle with it. What we find is that um, most individuals get put into their position because they're very good at what they do. They're, right. they're good technically, maybe or scientifically. And, um, you know, the people thing, which is what leadership is all about, leadership right. is all around all about people, um, may not necessarily come natural to them, particular in those kinds of professions, where a lot of people choose to go into that profession, because they're um, introverts. So oh, they, they, right. you know, they, they were solo workers at one time. And, you know, they did very well and right up the ladder. So do you feel that sometimes you're coaching? Um, especially has been with people who are more technical and scientific, or has it been with people mm -hmm. who are sales and marketing and extroverts just as it's a combination it is. really. Okay. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to matter if you're good, if you're a good salesperson, you get promoted. 
If you're a good true. marketer, you get promoted. <laughs> well, true that. Yeah. Yes, yes, I understand. So the one thing that the folks all have in common that you talk with is they want to get better at their craft. They want to mm-hmm. be better leaders. So tell us, how do they do that? What is leadership? Um, I, I like to make the contrast between leadership and management. Mm-hmm. And it's it's easier for me to think about it and for a lot of people to think about leadership as the people part. It's the part where you lead people. You don't lead things. You lead people. Right. And in management, management is about managing things because you really can't manage people. People are messy. Right. They're complex. If you try to ma- manage people, you're going to get into a heap of trouble. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or control. People. Yeah. People yeah. cannot be controlled yeah, yeah. Exactly. or managed. Right. No, I he- I hear you. So how do you how do you help them come to that understanding? Of the difference and, yeah. and separating yeah, their behaviors yeah. and knowing what goes in what bucket. So as an executive coach, I start all of my individual engagements with a 360, which is interview style. So I interview um, the individual's stakeholders. So peers, direct reports, boss, sometimes a skip level boss, the boss above the boss. Right. And um, that's pretty revealing um, because... I don't direct them. I don't, when I, when I interview people, I don't direct them to talk about their people skills. Right. But it always shows up. Sure. Oh, <laughs> sure it does. And yeah. with that feedback you're getting from others, it's definitely yeah. showing up. Um, and that it, it's hard for us as individuals, I bet, to be really self-aware of sure. all yeah. of the, of course. we think that we know how we're being perceived, mm-hmm. but it's very revealing to have others share that information mm-hmm. with us. So you're able to bring that into the experience and help them understand who they're being perceived as, as a leader. Right. True. Right. And it's usually about the people skills part in some way, shape or form. So how do you help them understand when it's time to stop acting like a manager and trying to manage maybe control, direct your staff, Mm -hmm. and really be more of a leader? How do you know when it's time to stop managing? How does a leader know or how do I know? How does a leader know? I think a leader knows when they get feedback. (laughs) Um, They don't always recognize it right away. Um, Some really self-aware people might be stuck and realize that, you know, there's something better that they could do. So yeah, there's lots of ways. Some people come to me directly who say, you know, I know that I need to get better at this. I just don't know how to do it. Right. Right. Can your staff give you a clue as to what they want from you and what they need from you and allow you to step in to be the kind of leader that they're looking for? Do they tip you off to that at all by their behaviors? I would think maybe. That's an, it depends. Okay. Um, if the leader is open to feedback, um, requests feedback, um, they will get some feedback from their stakeholders. Unfortunately, because our organizations are hierarchical, um, people are sometimes reluctant. I mean, the boss is, you know, right, writing out the paycheck here. Right. So they might be a little reluctant to give all of the feedback. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really helpful for a leader to learn to ask. Right. So as a leader and you, you're you're working with your team every day, how do you know what to give them? Are there clues in their work product, things that they're doing or not doing, or they may ask or not ask from you that allow you to know how to lead them? For example, if they, you know, if there's constant conflict or something, I mean, how is that something to look for when you need to step up and really be a leader for them? 
Yeah. Um, it, it, again, it, th- that's an it depends answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, if the individual is um, other aware, <laughs> um, they might notice and and pick up on that. Um, but again, I think the asking for feedback or asking for what do you need from me? Uh, what am I doing well? What could I do even better? Is a great tool. And then you have to just not be defensive about it. Just listen and say thank you. Great. So sometimes those, I would imagine, those responses from the people on your team can elicit, uh, I need this from you or I need that from you that might require you to change your behavior, but it also might be something that they just simply need support in that you hadn't realized right. or recognized. Right before. Right, right. Providing them with training or extra support or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would guess. Yeah, yeah, it, it can run the gamut. For their development. For sure. So how do you recommend, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a great leader, do you recommend, um, you know, a, a process for sitting down with the team to have that interaction? Or how do you have, how do you suggest that works? Well, it, it can be as simple as just asking, what do you need for me? And a lot of leaders do that. They do that regularly. The question is, are they listening? Finally, on our Best of 2018 program, what's the value of a wellness program in your small business? With some advice on identifying the ROI of wellness, Sherry talks with Amy Ritzema, co-owner of Onsite Wellness. Some organizations care about more the ROI, like... You know, what does that mean to my bottom line to have healthy employees? Some care about providing it as a benefit to attract and retain good employees. How do you open the door to get people to talk about these programs and what they mean to them? How do you address the ROI versus the the talent attraction? It's a tough question, actually. You know, the CFO always wants the ROI, right? Um, the ROI is actually really tough. Um, it really comes down to, first of all, the size of the company. Are they um, self-insured where maybe when we do a wellness solution and we can improve the overall health and well-being of the organization, we may be able to see some trends um, change on the medical side of things, which then ultimately would be a return on investment. But can we guarantee that? I can't guarantee it. Um, you just never know. Um what's going to pop up in your employee group. You know, it could be something genetic that happens that causes your insurance to spike. But overall, you know, we have had some really great successes um, in some of our larger organizations where we have a really robust program and we've been able to see, you know, those trends really kind of zero out on the medical side. Um, However, there's a whole nother side to that, and that'd be the value of the investment. And so it's really more like, how do we care about our employees? Um, You know, when you're when you're offering a program that says, hey, we care about you, the, the employees really value that. And then there's a lot of soft sided returns, you know, things like productivity levels that increase when your employees are mentally and physically well. Um, There's Tension and recruitment opportunities when you have a wellness solution. Um, the millennial generation, that younger generation, is looking for wellness solutions. So, you know, as you're going out there and you're hiring, 
there's a lot to be said about being able to say, hey, and we have a wellness program um, on site that's available for, for all of our employees. So there's a lot of different ways to look at wellness. It just really depends on your organization and what you're looking for. Great, great. So wellness, we haven't really defined what wellness is. You and I might have an idea, but our <laughs> listeners may not have yeah. a good idea. So what does that mean? Sure. What, what do you bring into a company? What does it look like? Well, there's a lot of different things when you think about wellness, and you are correct. Everybody thinks about wellness differently. Some organizations say offer a tobacco cessation program, for instance, and they call that a wellness um, program or a wellness solution, and that's a good part of it. Um, I think, um, and we believe at Onsite Wellness that really a a good wellness solution is going to look at the whole person. It's not just about our physical health. It's not just about exercise and nutrition. There's, you know, we really got to think about the whole, the whole person. So, um, mental well being, our mindfulness, um, big part of that. How about financial wellness? Because, quite honestly, if we're not financially well, that causes a lot of stress. Absolutely. which then moves into the stress and the mindfulness side of things and the mental side of things. And then, you know, that just turns in, you know, that can just snowball, right? And so when you think about productivity in an organization, if you have a group of people who, you know, are really struggling to pay the bills week after week or month after month, and that's what they're constantly thinking about, how, you know, where are they when they're at work? They're not thinking about work. They're thinking about how am I going to buy groceries for my kids? So sure. really looking at that whole picture um, and finding a good balance of both mental, physical, spiritual, financial, all of those components of wellness are important. Way more complicated probably yeah. than what many people think about <laughs> exactly. just a gym membership and how about a New Year's resolution diet? Yes, plan. exactly. And you know, depth. the other thing too is we really like to help the organization design and develop an incentive plan that's going to help them carry that all out. So, um, you know, we will help them at, you know, a lot of people think, oh my gosh, that's just going to be a lot of work. I can't do that. You know, a lot of times we're working with human resources and they're like, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to run that program. Well, we really make sure we do the work for them. We partner with them so that uh, we really, once it's designed and developed, we're going to make that program run. And our goal is to not any add any work to their plate. Wonderful. So, you know, I'm a company thinking, this is interesting. I might want to implement something like this. I'm wondering, how do we get started and how do we even develop a plan? How do I know what my employees <laughs> want? You know, maybe some of them need Financial Peace University, but they don't want to do that. You know, right. I know they need it, but how... How do you get started? Yeah, how, how do you, do you get started? You know, the biggest part is if if you even have an interest, it's just, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. You can try to do some things yourself, but quite honestly, a lot of times with that, it gets always put on the back burner because you have other jobs to do, right? So then the second choice is to find a vendor such as ourselves who can sit down with you and, and strategize. What is it you're looking for? Um, what goals does the organization have? And then kind of building a program from there. You know, we really customize our programming to fit the needs of the organization. So not every company, not every organization is the same. You know, I'm not necessarily going to treat um, a manufacturing group similar to a financial institution because, quite honestly, they're very different people, um, different education levels, different needs. Um, 
computer accessibility. I mean, all of those things come into play when designing a program. So you really have to make sure that you have a good understanding of your audience and then you start to build those programs around that. So there's there's a lot of conversation about that. And then there might be a focus groups. There might be surveys that we send out to the employees um, to see what their interests are. Other groups, we may do a biometric screening where we're doing, um, you know, height, weight, blood pressure, uh, cholesterol tests, and and glucose tests, and and then have the employees also fill out a health questionnaire, and that really gives us a great picture, kind of snapshot of how medically. Um, the company's doing to help us guide where that programming should go. So there's a lot of different avenues and different ways that we can start to design and develop a program. So it sounds like it's a very collaborative effort. Then you're bringing more than just perhaps the owners of the organization or human resources into the conversation, but you're involving a cross section mm-hmm. of everyone, yeah. perhaps touching everyone in the organization. Potentially. And it really depends on what the company wants to do, right? Because the other aspect is, you know, do we do we oftentimes will bring in the insurance broker that they use to look at the medical claims side if we have reporting on the self funded side. If you're fully funded, that you know, that really doesn't exist. But, um, you know, absolutely, collaboration is key in order to put that solution in place that's going to actually engage your employees. That's great. That's great. So tell me about a unique program that you put together. Maybe you walked in and sat down to talk with an organization and had an idea of what they might want and maybe came up with something that was... <laughs> Completely totally different, different after you talked with everyone. Yeah, you know, there's been a few instances where, you know, they think one thing and then once we have a conversation, they're like, oh, yeah, that's not going to work. Or, you know, just being able to sit back and go, well, we want this and we go, okay, well, your folks are working, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week, you know, do you really want them here longer to sit in an education class? Here's some other opportunities we might be able to do that is maybe faster that doesn't require them to stay after work or something of that nature, because they're not going to, right? Right. So it's being really realistic, having realistic expectations of what people are going to be willing to do. Um, You know, the other thing is we've had companies come to us who've had previous vendors um, that maybe have gone out of business or something of that nature, and they've come to us and said, hey, can you recreate this program? Well, that gets to be kind of challenging, right, to try to fit something else, you know, into our systems. And so that's been kind of challenging, but you do the best you can with what you have. And then what's fun with that is after a year of doing that, you can go back to the company. And this is a true story. We can go back to that company and say, okay, this worked really well. This is where we're seeing some after doing this for a year. These are kind of the challenges we're seeing. And here's a solution that I think is going to make the program better for everybody on our side, on your employee side, and on on the corporate side. And to have that collaboration to say, yes, let's give that a whirl and knowing going into 2018 that it's going to be better yet. Right, right. Yeah, because I would imagine that the needs of the organization are going to change and morph over time. I mean, people start out and they may be stuck in some areas. You work on it for a year, you get a little bit better, check those boxes. I think I got that under control. But now some new issues may develop or crop up that need to be addressed. I mean, you talked about, I can only imagine 
the the issues around a company with 50 to 60 hour work weeks as a regular that's, that's not even a lot i've had more <laughs> oh my gosh wow yeah, i mean talk crazy. Of, yeah so the issues of an organization like that could be very very different from one that's you know pretty much 40 hours yeah, absolutely uh, gives obviously more challenges to everything you know makes us really think how can we help these folks um and and it's a situation we can't change. You know, it's it's kind of just the way of the world right now, right? Everybody's doing more with less and the expectations and the ability to hire people has been a real challenge. So, you know, the people they have hired are working more. So it's a lot of overtime issues in a lot of our clients right now that we have to be aware of and help address, whether it's from a stress management standpoint and that kind of thing. And so just helping the company with how can we help you with sure. that. Um, is, is really important. And with any wellness solution, you know, every year we're always evaluating, did this work? What worked well? What didn't work well? What do we need to change? You know, or do we need to change nothing? Because everybody's just kind of getting the handle on it. And then you roll with it through another year. So you really got to be able to evaluate that and make it work for everybody. We hope you've enjoyed the Welsh Wire Best of 2018. See you next year with more great interviews by Sherry Welsh. Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.